Deer Trucking Awesome. What do you think of when someone says tough? Honestly, I think of a Toyota truck. Tundra's one mean mother of a truck with a twin turbo V6, an incredible going power, and the Tacoma claws through terrain with a taller suspension and lots of creature comforts in the cockpit. Both Toyota trucks are decked out with tons of cool features and tech you'll dig. Check them out at toyota.com, folks. Visit your front range Toyota stores today. Toyota, let's go places. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hyperelectric has been a part of the Denver community for over 35 years. Their reputation of being fairly priced, trustworthy, and dependable has allowed them to become one of the best Denver electrical contractor companies in the market. We believe Piper is the best because of their professionalism, because of their capability, because of their integrity, and because of the relationship we have built over the last year and a half with several of their key managers. That was Jim. He's been a customer of Piper Electric for over a year now and loves it so much that he recommends his own clients to them. Sometimes customers will ask us if we know of somebody who can be their regular electrician where they could call for anything from a small job to something much larger, maybe a remodel. And so we certainly have preferred people to Piper and Piper to them. From residential, commercial, and industrial, Piper Electric can handle all of your electrical needs. They've done actually everything from repairing a small wiring situation with a circuit breaker panel to adding additional circuits, adding parking lighting. So really, they have become a one-stop shop for all of our needs. If you call today and use the promo code BSN, you will get $25 off your next service call. That's 303-646-6765 or go to piperelectric.com. What is going on, guys? Welcome into the BSN Nuggets podcast. Thanks for dropping by Harrison Wind here on a Wednesday. We are presented today, as always, by The Green Solution. You can visit any one of their 17 Colorado locations or browse their entire inventory online at mygreensolution.com. Reserve products online and pick up at your local TGS Express checkout. You'll be in and out in minutes. If you use promo code BSN20, you can get 20% off your Entire purchase. Hope you guys are doing well. Hope everybody's recovered from their Memorial Day weekend festivities. Game one of the NBA Finals on tap for Thursday. Certainly excited for that. My official series prediction is Warriors in six. Warriors in six. I think Toronto's got a shot in this series, but I still think Golden State ekes it out in the end. By the way, I'm looking for a good place to watch game one for my Denver listeners. Any sports bars you guys like to go to in Denver to watch NBA games? Let me know. Hit me up on Twitter. Hit me up on Instagram as well at Harrison A. Wind. You can follow me there too. But let me know if you guys are going anywhere to watch the game, game one, Warriors and Raptors. But here's what I got on today's show. A couple questions to get to. One through email about free agency. One on the Total Beverage Fan Hotline. And then I wanted to talk a bit about this situation in Houston. Bunch of news coming out here Wednesday morning, Wednesday afternoon about how the Rockets may be blowing it up again. 
And I've been telling you guys for a while now, the Nuggets are probably going to run this thing back for the most part. Houston is not going to do that. Houston, it seems like Houston might do the exact opposite of running it back and try to reconstruct the team around James Harden, or maybe not around James Harden for next season in typical Daryl Morey fashion. We'll see what happens there. But first, though, let me get to this question. If you guys ever do have questions for the show, I want to remind you, wind at bsndenver.com if you want to send them in through email. If you want to leave a message on the Total Beverage Fan Hotline, you can do that too. 1-800-BSN-8394. 1-800-BSN-8394. Evan in Castle Rock, a.k.a. Ranchman, writes in, Before I dive in, thanks for the insightful take on Jamal Murray last Friday. I very much enjoyed it. Well, you're very welcome. The topic I want to put forward today is about the top list of free agents that are often mentioned in the national media. Mark Mosier, who drives the car for the morning show on Altitude Radio, went through a list of recognized players. He had read an article, perhaps it was from the New York Post, on what teams were rumored to be in on the top free agent players. Virtually every A-list player was associated with the Lakers, the Knicks, the Celtics, or the Nets. One or two were connected to the Dallas Mavericks. Virtually no other teams were mentioned. Here's my observation. Not every player can sign with those four or five teams. There are about 20 A-list and B-list free agents and restricted free agents. It's simply impossible for all of them to go to such a small handful of teams, and that doesn't even include trades. Some of the A-list and most of the B-list players will take time to talk to the Nuggets. Denver's targets won't include Klay Thompson, Kevin Durant, or Kawhi Leonard because those players will go in another direction. But after that, it's pretty wide open. So Nuggets fans should not be disheartened about the allure of the big market teams. We should be optimistic that there will be a lot of high-caliber talent available to the team after the Lakers and Knicks spend their dollars and may do a poor job of it anyway. By the way, on a podcast with Adam Ars on May 25th, Ryan Blackburn stated that if the Nuggets recognize that their primary shortcoming is at shooting forward, I assume he means small forward there, and they do not address it, then the offseason should be categorized as a failure. It's not that he doesn't think the Nuggets won't be a competitive team, but they won't be a championship contender. I'm out. Thanks, Evan, for the question as always. I'd agree with you in saying that Yes, not all the top free agents can go to the Lakers, the Knicks, the Celtics, or the Nets, or the Clippers. A lot of them can, though. And I think if you're looking at the top guys, that's where they'll probably all wind up. Or in the case of the Chris Middletons and the Tobias Harris's and the Jimmy Butler's, they might return to the team that they played on this year. Now, that's the thing with free agency. A lot of these guys, their contracts are up, but they'll end up returning to their same team. The problem with Denver, and yes, they have a need at small forward. My question would be, and I guess my question to Ryan, as that point you brought up there stated, you've got to give me a name. You've got, or you got to give me a group of names and say, if they don't sign one of these three players, or if they don't sign one of these five players, their offseason should be categorized as a failure. Because as you go down the list here of available small forwards, and trust me, I've gone down the list multiple times, I'm really wondering who this guy is that everybody thinks Denver is going to sign here that's going to bolster their standing at small forward. I think Will Barton will be back next year, and he had an injury-plagued season I don't think Denver's going to give up on him quite yet. 
But just scanning the list of available small forwards, you can start at the top with Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, Jimmy Butler, Chris Middleton. I don't think any of those guys are going to be in Denver next season. Tobias Harris, I don't think he's going to be in Denver next season. You go further down the list, Jabari Parker, Harrison Barnes, Thaddeus Young, Boyan Bogdanovich. Some of those guys could be attractive, but the thing you've got to remember with, call it your B group of free agent small forwards, those guys are going to want playing time. All those guys I've mentioned are going to want to sign in places where they're probably going to play 30 minutes a game. Thaddeus Young played over 30 minutes a game last year. He's 30 years old. I don't think the Nuggets can go to Thaddeus Young and be like, hey, we love you, but we want you to come off the bench behind Paul Millsap and play 20 minutes a night. Thaddeus Young could get a lucrative offer from the Nuggets, but if he's not going to be playing, I don't think he's going to take that offer seriously. Wesley Matthews, he's going to want to keep playing. He's only 33 years old. Harrison Barnes, Bogdanovich, like I said, Nikola Mirotic, Markeith Morris. These guys aren't 15 to 20 minute per game players. And it seems like that's the opportunity in the opening Denver has in their rotation right now. Whether that's behind Will Barton, that small forward, or if you start this guy in place of Will Barton, you know, he'll, he'll be playing maybe... 25 minutes a game because you still got Barton there. You still got Torrey Craig there. You've still got Malik Beasley there who averaged 20 minutes per game last year. And I'm sure Denver would like to see those minutes continue to climb. So there are free agents out there that I'm sure would consider Denver. But if you look at the playing time the Nuggets have available, I'm not sure how attractive that spot is going to be. Unless Denver moves a guy like Will Barton and opens up that starting spot there, which I kind of have a difficult time seeing them doing right now. Like a guy like Trevor Ariza, that could work. Although I did hear that I don't think Denver has a lot of interest in him as of now. I brought that up to somebody recently. But I think he would be great on the wing. A guy maybe you could start, but a guy you could also bring off the bench who's got playoff experience and whatnot. You go further down the list at small forward, Damari Carroll, Danny Green, who I think would be nice. But again, I feel like Danny Green is probably going to want to play 25 minutes a game at least. I don't know if he can get that consistent playing time in Denver. So that's the thing here. Denver's got to find a guy who's probably a bit more of a veteran who is okay maybe coming off the bench here and just playing a role for this team. And yeah, they need a small forward and a lot of those guys would work, but I don't think any of those guys are in the mood to play 20 minutes a night off the bench for Denver. Now, there are some options that I think would work at small forward, like say a Garrett Temple, who I've long been a fan of. I just listed off Trevor Ariza, who I think would be a good fit. Jared Dudley, I think would be really nice too. But you know, if Denver doesn't sign one of those guys, is the offseason considered a failure? I don't know if I'd go that far because I have my expectations set very low in terms of Denver making a lot of earth-shattering moves this summer, as I've been telling you guys on this show. So yes, I do think they need a small forward. Now I'd love to hear what type of small forward they could sign that would categorize their offseason as a success if that's just, you know, they just need a guy to get 15 to 20 minutes off the bench or if they don't sign Tobias Harris to fill their 
starting small forward spot is the offseason considered a failure? I wonder what the spectrum is there because personally, I'm still a believer in Will Barton. And I know that probably pains a lot of you guys on this podcast to hear, but I'm still a believer that he can come back next year and pick up right where he left off. Not this season, obviously, but two years ago now when he really popped in that starting lineup and he had a great year. And I think he can rediscover that form with a productive summer and a fully healthy couple of months here because you could just tell he was never quite right when he came back from that injury last season. So I think there is a need at small forward. Maybe I don't think it's as big of a need as others do because, look, Denver was a couple plays away from reaching the conference finals this season. I think the Nuggets are pretty comfortable running it back with this current group, maybe a small addition here or there, as I've been teasing. So yeah, interesting stuff. And if you want to read some more of my thoughts about it, conveniently, I've got an article posted on bsndenver.com that came out Wednesday morning about if Denver will continue their patient approach that we've seen them really show in free agency and with roster building that they have for the last couple of years. And that's really been a staple of the Tim Connolly era this summer. Or will we see an accelerated timeline with Denver's surprising rise up the Western Conference all the way to the second seed and a berth in the Western Conference semifinals? It's on bsndenver.com right now. If you're not a member of the site, bsndenver.com backslash subscribe to read it. And I brought up an interesting comparison that I saw there. And this goes back to 2013, and the Nuggets have drawn a lot of comparisons to the Warriors for how they've built their roster through the draft and with not a ton of high draft picks, hitting on a second rounder. The Nuggets hit on Jokic, the Warriors hit on Draymond Green, so on and so forth. You guys know the story by now. But in 2013, the Warriors were obviously coming off that playoff win over the Nuggets where they were the sixth seed and they kind of took everybody by storm that year. That was the first year where Steph and Clay and it really wasn't even Draymond at that point, but Bogut was there and they were really showing signs that they could do damage one day. They were the sixth seed in the playoffs. They beat the Nuggets who were the three seed that year, pretty much ending that era of Nuggets basketball. Masai Ujiri was gone. George Carl was gone. You guys know what happened from that point forward. But after that first taste of playoff success, much like the Nuggets had this season with this current group, the Warriors ran it back. They returned all five of their starters, except they also went fishing in the free agent pond. They got Andre Iguodala from Denver. You guys all remember that and what transpired between Iguodala and the Nuggets and the Warriors. They ended up agreeing to a four-year, $44 million deal with Iguodala. It ended up being a sign-and-trade, and it was a landmark moment for the Warriors because Golden State, much like Denver has, wasn't really thought of ever as an attractive free agent destination. And Iguodala, if you read the reporting at the time, and I did for writing this piece, Iguodala kind of sold himself to Golden State. He said, I want to be with the Warriors. This is where I want to continue my career. There's a lot of off-the-court investments I can get involved in, in the Bay, in Silicon Valley and whatnot. He's obviously done that, but I want to be in Golden State. And from the Warriors' perspective, they were going after Dwight Howard at the time quietly, and the Iguodala move was a stunner. It was something Golden State didn't think could happen. They had to quickly shed around $24 million in salary 
to get that deal done, but they did. And obviously, Iguodala, the Swiss Army knife, the combo forward that he was, really pushed this era of Warriors basketball in the direction that it's still headed today. So Golden State preached continuity there. They brought back their five stars, but they also made a big free agent acquisition in Iguodala. And so that's how I pivoted this thing to the Nuggets in the article I wrote a dream summer for Denver, I think, would be finding their version of Andre Iguodala. Now, is that guy a Tobias Harris? Is that guy a Chris Middleton? Probably, because Iguodala in 2013 was a premier free agent. That class was headlined by Dwight Howard, Chris Paul. Iguodala was in there too. Tyreek Evans got a lot of money that summer. Josh Smith got that deal from the Pistons that I believe was stretched like a year or two later. But those were the big names that summer. Iguodala was one of them. And so I guess for Denver, that would be getting Chris Middleton and agreeing for him to take a little bit of a pay cut because Iguodala turned down more lucrative offers reportedly from Denver and from Sacramento at the time, and I believe from Dallas to sign with Golden State. So would a Tobias Harris or a Chris Middleton take significantly less money from Denver to sign with the Nuggets? I don't think those guys are at that point in their careers that Iguodala was when he just really wanted to win a championship and was kind of over being that number one, number two option that he was in Philly and in Denver. So the point of my, the piece I wrote on BSN Denver was to say a dream summer for Denver would be getting their Iguodala. You know, if that's a Middleton, if that's a Jimmy Butler, if that is a Tobias Harris. But, you know, I just don't see it happening, unfortunately, as the cards are stacked right now. Could that change? Sure. Because at one point, the Warriors didn't see themselves getting a Godala either that summer, and things in the NBA can change quickly. So that would be an ideal summer, I think, from Denver. Can they get their version of an Iguodala? A combo forward who can play a couple of different positions, who's good defensively, because it's really what they need, right? Like, how good would 2013 Andre Iguodala be on this Nuggets team right now? He'd be perfect. You know, but th- does that guy also want to take a little bit less money, you know? Or does that guy want to take a little bit of a hit in terms of his field goal attempts per game than Butler in Philly, than Middleton in Milwaukee? Because there's a lot of mouths to feed in Denver. So that's why I don't really see it happening. I think th- those guys are in a little bit of a different place than Iguodala was at that point in his career in 2013 after the Denver stint he had. So it seems like it might be far off, but I still thought that was an interesting comparison because that's exactly what it seems like the Nuggets need right now. We've got to hit a break real quick. Got a question that I'm going to get to on the Total Beverage Fan Hotline. And then a couple thoughts on the situation developing in Houston. I feel like it's a pretty interesting comparison when you look at the state of the Rockets franchise and the state of the Nuggets franchise. We'll be right back. If you're living in Colorado and you are craving some good old Southern barbecue, be sure to give Moe's Original Barbecue a try. My favorite thing about Moe's Original Barbecue is we are a Southern soul food revival. We make everything from scratch daily, house-made smoked meats, and customer service to the next level. That was Robbie Peoples, one of the managers over at Moe's Original Barbecue. And like he mentioned, they have incredible food, awesome customer service, and I think my favorite part is how cool the environment is in both of their locations. We have live music at Moe's at our south location, 3295 South Broadway, which is a 
full PA system ticket sales. Uh, we have national bands. We have local bands. If you're a local band interested in playing, feel free to contact us at moesdenver.com. We would love to have you come down and play for a big old party at Moe's Original Barbecue. Not only do they have live music, but they also have a bowling alley and a dozen TVs with all of your favorite games on. They have two locations, one in downtown Denver off Broadway and 6th, and of course the other one that Robbie mentioned in Inglewood. I would recommend some Moe's to someone because we cater to all needs, a family-friendly atmosphere. We have Colorado beers on tap, all the games on the TVs. It will blow your mind with amazing barbecue. Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented, of course, by The Green Solution. If you use promo code BSN20 on mygreensolution.com, you can get 20% off your entire purchase there. Harrison Wind here on a Wednesday. Thanks for listening, as always, guys, as we trudge on into the summer We got the draft right around the corner, although I don't think it'll be a very busy draft for Denver, but don't be surprised if they get back into this thing in the second round. They don't have a second round pick at the moment, but don't be surprised if Denver winds up drafting somewhere in the second round before the first 60 picks are through. I want to go to the Total Beverage Fan Hotline. Got a call from Chris on a pretty interesting subject regarding the offense and Jokic ball, by the way. Team Jokic Ball, which is our summer league team comprised of a few members of the Nuggets media contingent, off to a 3-0 start in summer league, defending our title. I'll keep you guys updated on how we do as the summer season progresses. But let's go to the Total Beverage Fan Hotline right now. If you guys do have a question for the show, 1-800-BSN-8394, 1-800-BSN-8394. Hey, Justin Denver. I want to talk about the future of Jokic Ball and the, the Nuggets offense. Um, I know last year when we were when we were just discussing Jokic Ball, a lot of people would describe it as this free-flowing offense where there's a lot of ball movement, a lot of passing, a lot of passing up good shots with great shots. And I think those are all characteristics of it, but I don't think that quite got to the core of what Jokic Ball was. And I'll explain later. Watching this year when uh, Gary and Barton went out, the the two-man game we saw the most was Jokic and Murray. They were the most involved parts of the offense, followed closely by Millsap, whose game is very different than uh, either of the either of the three guards, obviously. In my opinion, Jokic ball last year was a two-man. It was essentially three two-man games running at once: Jokic and Gary, Jokic and Murray, Jokic and Barton. I think Jokic and Barton was probably the most effective at the time. But as we've seen this year, the two-man game between Jokic and Jamal has gotten just incredible. They've developed brilliant chemistry this past season, and it's clearly the, it's clearly the best option that they have on offense. Uh, to me, that it presents kind of sort of a good problem to have, though, um, because the offense is best with Jokic when there's multiple two-man games going on. But, you know... When it gets down to not cutting time and you need a bucket, you go to what works best. Uh, I don't know. How do you think uh, – what are your thoughts on this little hypothesis that I have? Where do you think they go forward? What challenges do you think this presents from alone? Uh, is it just a matter of, uh, you know, they got hurt and got out of rhythm? I don't think so. I think the two-man with Jokic and Murray is uniquely good because Murray's great at setting things for the – setting screens for the inverted pick and roll. I think – 
as of now, he's a better passer than Harris or Barton. He's probably the second best pass. Well, maybe the third best passer on the team behind Jokic and Monte. Um, but how do we uh, how do how do we get those other two guards involved too? Because as we see as we saw in the playoffs, you can't just have one primary two man game and a little bit of options with Millsap to to rely on for your offense. You need to get those other guys involved. As always, love the show. I'm looking forward to a great offseason of content from BSN. Keep up the great work and go Nuggets. Thanks, Chris, for the call as always. Got a lot of great offseason content coming, so thanks for sticking with us throughout the summer. I knew you would, but I thought you brought up a lot of great points there. A lot of them I agree with too, and I think this one is one of the main points you were getting at, and it's something I agree with, but the offense just felt a little different from last year compared to 2017-18 and 2016-17. It seemed like it was maybe a little less free-flowing, maybe a little less of the democratic equal opportunity offense that we've seen in years past. And it still worked. I mean, the Nuggets were still a top 10 offense. They were seventh in offensive rating this season. They averaged 112.1 points per 100 possessions. In 2017-18, they averaged 111.3. In 2016-17, this, in my opinion, was when Jokic ball was at its finest. The Nuggets were the number one offense that season from December 15th on, when they averaged 115 points per 100 possessions over 57 games. It's the best numbers their offense has put up in the last three years, you know, over a very big sample size of 57 games. And that was almost two years ago. But in my opinion, that's the purest that Jokic ball has ever looked. Now, a couple things have happened since then, right? Nicole Jokic has obviously gotten a lot better. He's taken on more of a command of the offense as the focal point, as the number one option. And the other major thing that's happened is that Jamal Murray has really emerged as the number two guy. And if you think back to where this team was in 2016-17, really from December 15th on, that was Jamal Murray's rookie season. He was coming off the bench. Gary Harris was the established starter as shooting guard and was really looked at as a foundational piece going forward. But Gary Harris, he hadn't signed that $84 million extension yet. He hadn't had the year in 2018 where he averaged 17 and a half points per game, his career year that really put him on the map. You know, Will Barton was coming off the bench at the time. He really wasn't close to the player he was the year after when he became a f- real building block for this team. There wasn't a pecking order really established at that time. Yeah, Jokic was at the top, but he didn't really play like it at the time. There wasn't a confirmed hierarchy. It was really just Jokic and then five or six guys all lumped together. Jameer Nelson had a great season that year. Wilson Chandler, Daniil Gallinari. So that's a big difference from what we have now, where it's clearly Jokic and then Jamal Murray and then probably Gary Harris. But there's just a much more defined order to how things run on the offensive end of the floor. And The biggest difference, like I alluded to earlier, was Jamal Murray has really emerged here as not only the number two option, but the number one option on offense at times. And I think part of that is just 
because he's a really exceptional talent at just 22 years old and obviously has all-star and all-NBA potential that I personally think he'll probably reach at some point in his career, probably in the next year in terms of an all-star bid and maybe in terms of an all-NBA spot a few years after that. But the other part of that is because of the injuries Denver had this season. And they stuck to that two-man game of Nicole Jokic and Jamal Murray so much because there was just so much uneasiness with Gary Harris missing so much time and with Will Barton missing so much time. And you've got to throw guys like Torrey Craig, who isn't the offensive creator that Gary Harris or Will Barton are. So that's why I think the offense looked a little different this season because Jamal Murray took on a bigger role and just the injuries kind of forced Denver to really rely on that two-man game. Now I'm curious to see what happens next year because I can guarantee you the Nuggets won't be as injured as they were this year next season. The luck the Nuggets had with the injuries this year was just unbelievable. So there will be a chance for Denver to get back to that Jokic ball identity, which was really established after December 15th, 2016. And was still at the forefront for most of 2017-18, but I do think wasn't quite the same last season. And if it does, I think is going to be determined by Jamal Murray. How much is he going to place a priority on getting his teammates going compared to looking for his own offense? You know, obviously this is predicated on Gary Harris and Will Barton being healthy, and I do think a lot of the reasons why Jamal looked offense first last season was because Denver just didn't have a ton of scoring options around him with the injuries they had and uh, that emergence of the two-man game, which I think was a good thing going forward that they really did establish at this season was because of the injuries. But will the Nuggets ever get that rhythm of that post-December 15th run again? I don't know because Jamal isn't going to take the back seat like he did then now. Now, he's a fringe all-star player now. He's not rookie Jamal Murray. He's not veteran Jameer Nelson, who were the two point guards on that team. He wants more usage. He wants more shot attempts. So the Nuggets offense can still be great with how it's constructed right now. I don't think it will ever get back to that pure form that it was post-December 15th, two years ago. But that's okay because it still can be really good. And it has a higher ceiling now probably than it did back then just because you know, Jamal Murray is an incredible talent at 22. Nicole Jokic is a top 10 player, etc. But I do think with more injuries, with more consistent rotations and lineups, they can get a more pure form of Jokic ball back next season than they had this year. A healthy Gary Harris will help. A healthy Will Barton will help. They just need more counters to their offense than they had this year. It seemed like the offense stalled out at times this season more than it did in years past. And I think that gets back to what Chris was saying when it seemed like there were just a couple different two-man games going on with in every possession. And I can see that to an extent. And I think with more health next season and with more consistency, maybe you have more counters develop and you have less possessions stall out like they did this year. So it's an interesting topic. I think it's just part of the progression and the development the and the evolution of this Nuggets roster, it's a lot easier to have, you know, th- this wasn't the case, obviously, back in 2016, but it's a lot easier to have everybody taking 
eight to ten shots a game when you don't have a fringe all-star in Jamal Murray, when you don't have a top ten player in Nikola Jokic, when you don't have another guy in Gary Harris who I think could be a fringe all-star next season. It's a lot easier for everybody to just play for each other then. You know, there's a lot less mouths to feed when you don't have those established guys in that established pecking order that Denver does now. Thanks for the question, Chris. I enjoyed it. Before we move on here, a quick word from Total Beverage. You guys already know that Total Beverage has the best liquor in Colorado at the best prices in Colorado. Now they're delivering to anywhere in the North Metro area from Wheat Ridge to Erie. For a limited time, Total Beverage is offering $10 off a $50 purchase on their website and app by using the promo code BSN10, BSN10. Again, if you use that promo code, you can save $10 off a $50 order and have it delivered to your door. Again, download the Total Beverage app and use promo code BSN10 for $10 off your order. That's promo code BSN10 on the Total Beverage app for $10 off your next liquor delivery today. Before I got out of here tonight, here Wednesday evening, I just want to address this Houston Rockets situation, something that must be a bit nerve-wracking for Houston fans, or I don't know if it is because Houston seems to go through one of these things every couple of seasons, but if you guys didn't see the reporting, ESPN reported it, The Athletic out of Houston had some tidbits on it as well, but pretty much... Rockets GM Daryl Morey has made his entire roster and future draft picks available in trade talks. Adrian Wojnarowski writes, A dramatic initiative with hopes of refreshing the team into a championship contender. There's also been a lot of upheaval within the Rockets coaching staff. Mike D'Antoni is still there, but a bunch of their top assistants are gone. Jeff Bizdelk is gone. A couple other guys are gone. Irv Roland, the renowned player development coach who's really worked with James Harden there for a while, is gone. So a lot of people speculating that maybe Daryl Morey wants Mike D'Antoni to quit. Maybe they want to get Ty Lue in there. I don't know. But I just thought it's an interesting point of reflection in terms of how franchises in the NBA operate. And you've got a Rockets team here who's done this before around James Harden where they've kind of gutted their role players and really patched a roster together and continue to build around Harden and have built some really damn good teams. They've built championship caliber teams that probably would have won a couple rings if it was not for the Golden State Warriors. But it's what they've done over these last five or six years, and they're comfortable doing it. Daryl Morey can pull rabbits out of his hat with trades and signings and whatnot, and maybe they'll do that again. Maybe they'll get somebody like Anthony Davis. That's the first thing I thought of, if they could assemble a trade package around Clint Capella for AD. That's what I'd be going for if I was them. I'm not sure if the Pelicans would bite on that. I don't know if they would, but Capella could be a decent fit next to Zion. Anyways, it seems like everybody, except for James Harden, they're not trading James Harden is on the table for the Rockets. They're also probably not trading Chris Paul because he's still owed like $150 million and I don't know how you're trading him on that contract. But everybody else is on the table. And so I think this Rockets team, it could look dramatically different than it did this year, and they could still be very good. But it's how Houston operates. And Denver really operates from an exact polar opposite, to be quite honest. 
The Nuggets would never think about doing this, I don't think. I floated this idea on the podcast a couple days ago. One of my colleagues here in Denver floated this to me, but what if Denver just traded Paul Millsap and a package to New Orleans for Anthony Davis and then signed Chris Middleton and then just built around Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Anthony Davis, and Nikola Jokic, and then just kind of patched together their roster with minimum guys from there. No, that'd be great, but like that's just not how the Nuggets operate, right? They just don't do business that way for right or for wrong. They found a winning formula here, at least over the last couple of seasons. I know they didn't make the playoffs two years ago, but in a normal year, they would have. They found that success this season, and they found it by continuity and sticking to a plan and patience and a prudent approach and sticking to the process rather than mortgaging their long-term future for immediate success. It's exactly the opposite of what the Rockets preach and how the Rockets conduct their franchise. And I think it just goes to show that there's no right way to do things in the NBA. Based on your situation, you can run your franchise differently. Denver's in a spot, one that wasn't viewed as a free agent destination for a long time where they had to build their team this way. Houston has been a place where free agents have come and wanted to play, so they could construct their team that way. So I think the lesson here is there's not one right way to do things, and a lot of times your situation determines how you operate and you build your franchise. I don't think Houston's wrong by doing this by any means. I think they should look to upgrade and swing for the fences, and I don't think Denver is wrong by standing pat. But you do things based on what your situation tells you you should. Now, is there anyone on Houston that Denver would like? Man, P.J. Tucker in a Nuggets uniform would be beautiful. He's somebody the Nuggets would love to get their hands on. He's somebody every team would love to get their hands on. A guy who can play the four and the five, that can shoot from three, can give you a Paul Millsap-type impact on the defensive end of the floor, be your defensive captain, but an even more capable three-point shooter, man, he'd be great in Denver. But I don't know how eager Houston would be to give him up to the Nuggets. I don't know what Denver would give him return. That's really it, though. It's funny. There's not like all these attractive pieces on Houston. You think of Houston as a great team, but... Now, outside of Eric Gordon, Clint Capella, P.J. Tucker, like where do they go from there? All their other guys are just really guys on one-year deals. They're going to have a much different team next year, really regardless of if they gut their entire roster or not. That's just how Houston operates. So I thought it was an interesting comparison. And as I've been telling you guys in this podcast, Denver, I think, unless something earth-shattering happens here, We'll mostly run it back from next season, and I think it's the right course of action to take. And look, Houston could field a great team next year, but they're in a position, they're in a market in Houston with a guy like James Harden where they've shown they can totally gut their roster and put together a really competitive team next year and make that transformation in one summer. Denver hasn't taken that approach, and I don't think they should or should plan to this summer. And with the uncertainty in Houston, I think that should actually be even more of a sign to Denver that they should continue their 
approach of continuity and just run it back next season. Because I think if they do, they're the second best team in the West, clearly. But also, you think that, man, if they just got that one guy, like I teased earlier, their Andre Iguodala type, circa 2013, they'd clearly be that second best team in the West, you know? So that's what I've got on that topic. I think that's all I've got for the day show. Thanks for listening, guys. I did have somebody call into the Total Beverage Fan Hotline, but I couldn't get your message across. I don't know if the mute button was on or something, but try calling in again tomorrow and I'll get to your question. That was from the 406593. Try calling in again. Couldn't make out your message when I listened for it earlier. That's all the time I got for today, guys. Thanks for listening. I'll be back with another show tomorrow. Talk to you then. The Colorado Golf Association is dedicated to preserving, improving, and serving the game of golf here in Colorado. And right now they're conducting their annual Dream Golf Vacation Raffle. Ed May, Executive Director of the Colorado Golf Association, gave us some more info on what exactly you can win if you enter. We had six grand prizes this year and 40 plus other prizes. So the the big ticket items, so to speak, or the grand prizes are a trip to the BMW Championship, including VIP access, thanks to our partnership with BMW. Uh, We have a trip to Streamsong. We have a trip to Bandon Dunes. We have a trip to Sand Valley. And then we have what I think might be the coolest, a chance to take uh, a 7 Series BMW down to Telluride to play in a CGA-only event. The raffle tickets will go on sale on our website, coloradogolf.org. Tickets are $40, and you know all the proceeds from the raffle are going to support youth development in the state of Colorado. So you're making a great donation to a great cause, but you're also having a chance to uh, really have a fantastic dream golf vacation. For a chance to win, be sure to go to coloradogolfassociation.org.